you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you. Do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Hello church, it's uh, great to be with you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all of you who have fasted and prayed this week uh, over this issue of COVID-19 and passports and all of those things. Thank you so, so much for each one who came before our God in prayer and in fasting. At the end of the service, I'm going to have the opportunity to give an update on what we believe is the result of that. But now, as we come to God's Word this morning, which we just heard read, I'm going to ask that again, you would pray for me and for us as we come to it. Let's pray. Father God, all of heaven and earth is yours, for you made it. And all glory and all honor and all power and all praise needs to go to you because you are deserving. So I pray, we pray that as we open your word, 
that it would be sharp and active and that it would bring you the glory that you deserve because we ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Well, at the moment, I'm uh, reading a novel by John Buchan called Witchwood. I'm reading it because it was one of the novels that C.S. Lewis recommended as being highly influential in his life. But this is no Narnia story, trust me. This is a deep and disturbing tale. Told through the eyes of a young Presbyterian minister in Scotland who arrives at his new parish to discover what looks like a really godly, normal, kind of rural Scottish parish in the 1600s, except he very soon discovers that godliness is a crust. And underneath, there is the most horrible things taking place. There is occult worship. There is demon activity. Now, this novel is uh, inspired in part by the true story of Major Thomas Weir. Major Weir lived in the 1600s, and in his day, he was a, a famous Scottish soldier and politician. He was known as a pillar of the church in Scotland. In fact, his, name, his nickname was Angel Thomas, because people would come from everywhere to listen to the eloquent way in which he would pray. Yet later in his life, totally unexpectedly, Major Thomas announced that he was actually a worshipper of the devil, that he had committed um, horrific and horrendous sins, and he implicated another pillar of the local church, his sister, in these same things. Uh, when the authorities heard that one of the greatest leaders of the day was claiming to be a worshipper of Satan, they, they were horrified and they thought he'd become mentally unwell. So they tried to cover it up, they, they tried to protect him, but he continued to insist that he was a worshipper of the devil. And they went to uh, his sister to, uh, to de debunk the whole story, and to their shock, she corroborated the whole thing. And she said that she also was a worshipper of the devil. Eventually, both of them were burnt at the stake in Edinburgh. Now, when we speak about the demonic, when we hear a, a biblical account like we have today, it's very easy for us to laugh at these encounters um, to laugh at the devil, to mock the obsession of the Middle Ages and the Salem witch trials and the obsession with witches and warlocks as, as coming from a primitive people that really didn't understand what we know now. They were just superstitious and uneducated. And partly, those things are true. And there's also some tendency to chalk up stories like we see today in our Bible reading as really just... Um, ancient renditions of what today we would know to be mental illness. And there's some truth in that too. Mental illness no doubt plays a part in much of demonic influence. But it cannot explain all of it. In our reading today, as in many other areas of the gospel, Jesus account, encounters the demonic and as we begin, let us be clear that the demonic, the demons, 
and that Satan are very real then and now. And there continue to be people that are demonized, demon-possessed, and who continue to worship Satan and his demons. In the 2016 census, there were 7,000 people in Australia who explicitly identified as Satan worshippers. You could double that number if you included those who followed um, pagan religions, which include the worship of demons. During my time uh, as in the army as a, uh, an instructor at the recruit training centre at Kapuka, um, I met about 10 of these people and some of them, I spoke to them about it and said, you've listed yourself as a Satan worshipper. And some of them would be like, oh yeah, it was just a bit of a joke. But there were others for whom this was a very real thing in their lives and they would have answered very similarly to Major Weir long ago. And there are still some today who are demon-possessed too. And you would say to me, well, Andrew, it's nothing like we read in the Bible. That seems to happen all the time in the Bible. And I think my answer would be that at least in the West, we are benefiting from hundreds and hundreds of years of the influence and the power of the gospel on our culture and our society. Um, It's almost as if the gospel has acted like a vaccination. Did you like that little topical reference? Um, It's greatly reduced the prevalence of demonic expression in the West, at least in the West, but it certainly hasn't eradicated it. The demonic is still very real because demons are still very real. Satan worship is still very real because Satan is very real. And the way that the devil works and the way that the demonic works is as varied and as um, subtle as the devil is himself. Well, today we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this encounter in Scripture and I want us to do three things in our time together. Firstly, we are going to look at the story. We're going to look at what happens in this encounter. And then we're going to ask two questions as we close. Question number one, why did the Holy Spirit cause this account to be recorded for us? Why is it there? And secondly, what would it mean for us today? So firstly, the biblical account. And this encounter, like many encounters in the Gospels, is really just the most wonderful before and after story. And we see the before of the story as Jesus steps off the boat in verse 27. Immediately, he's met by a man that we are told had demons. This this man's condition was terrible in the extreme. He refused to wear clothes. Um, he, He hasn't lived in a house. He wanders among the tombs. And in a sense, we can see almost Gollum in Lord of the Rings here. This man is freezing in winter, scorching in summer, gnawing the the loathsome things he finds in the tombs. Now, it's easy for us as we hear this story to go like, oh, it's distant from me. But imagine this was your son. Or imagine this was your beloved brother. Like this. And... To help him, presumably his family or the community, they've captured him at times, they've chained him up for his own safety, but under the the power of the demons in him, he's smashed the chains and he's returned again to the isolation and the place of death and hopelessness in the tombs. Now, as soon as Jesus shows up in this area of the Gerasenes, he shows up, he is waiting at the shore. 
So uh, let's look for a moment at the context of this story as it takes place in Luke chapter 8. We're told that Jesus has been teaching the crowd for hours in verse 4. That he's had a conflict with his mother and his brothers in verse 19. So he's got in the boat and he's gone to the other side of the lake and he's so exhausted, verse 22, that he falls fast asleep and he would have stayed asleep in the midst of a terrifying storm if his disciples had led him. Now the very moment that he arrives, he's confronted by this. And make no mistake, this is demonic resistance. This is not an accidental encounter. The demonic in the form of this man is waiting for him because there's about to be a confrontation. Now, if I was Jesus and I was looking at this man, I would have felt like getting back into the boat and Googling on my phone, job search, qualifications, Messiah. You know, it would have just been so tempting to just sail away from all of this. But thankfully, Jesus is not like me. His compassion and his love overflow once again. And there is the confrontation that the, dev, the devil sought out. And Jesus, in verse 29, he tells the demons, get out of this man. And then there's a weird conversation which takes place, isn't there? Jesus talks not with the man himself, but with the the devils, the demons that are inhabiting this man's body. And the demons, uh, we see, are cowering before Jesus in fear in verse 28. They're saying, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Beg you, do not torment me. And as Jesus dialogues with these demons, he says, well, what is your name? And they say, legion, because we are many Then they beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss ahead of time. And Jesus obliges them by sending them into a herd of pigs who are by the lake and the pigs rush down the water and they drown. The herdsmen see it all and understandably they are upset and terrified. The people hear of it and they're they're full of fear and they send a delegation to Jesus to ask him to go away, leave town. That's the before of this encounter. And the after of the encounter is truly beautiful. It it never ceases to move me. I think it's easy to say this in the Gospels. This is one of my favorite moments because then the scene focuses in on this same man, but now he's clothed. Now he's peaceful. Now he's in his right mind, and there he sits at the feet of Jesus looking up, His life is totally different from being living among the dead to meeting the Lord of life. The after is amazing. And as he looks at Jesus, you can see him, we're told he pleads with Jesus. Let me come with you. And one of the very few encounters in the Gospels, Jesus says, no. No. You stay where you are and you tell everybody how much God has done for you. Well, that's the encounter. That's the story. Now are two questions. Number one, why is it there in the Bible? Why was the Holy Spirit moved to record that for us? Well, obviously, a very clear thing that comes from this story is that when you encounter Jesus, as this man did, your before is very different from your after, right? Right? 
Your before is totally different from your after. And your after is so much better. This is true of conversion. Before you encounter Jesus is radically different and radically worse after you encounter him. There's a wonderful change which happens in conversion when we are turned from death to life. And if you are a Christian, you know this because you've experienced it. But why is this here in Scripture? Because partly I believe that the Holy Spirit would want us to remember our chains. And you'd say, but Andrew, the the Bible actually says exactly the opposite. It says, forgetting what is behind and pressing on to what is ahead. We we run the race of our high calling. I'm not saying that we focus negatively on what is behind and let it dominate us. But what I am saying is that if you've been chained and your chains have been broken, it's good to remember sometimes what it was like when you were chained. And friends, you were chained. You You may have been the most... Nice person. You might have spent your life helping old ladies across the road, paying your taxes, getting involved in the local community. You might have been the the paragon of community righteousness. You might even, like Major Weir, have been able to pray nice prayers in church and to be well thought of in the Christian community. But friends, prior to the encounter with Jesus Christ, you were chained. You were chained. You might not have known it, but you were Well, prove it to me, Andrew. You say, well, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, is the most clear expression of your condition before you encountered Jesus. This is what it says in the CEV. You followed the ways of this world, and you obeyed the devil. He rules the world, and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. Did you hear that? You followed the ways of this world and you obeyed the devil. His spirit had power over you. You are under his authority and you may not have felt the chains, but they were there nonetheless. They may have been velvet manacles, but you were manacled. You were chains. And these chains, the same chains, had they not been broken, would have not seen you living among the tombs, but in the tombs, under the power of the devil and joining him in his destiny eventually in the lake of fire in hell. That was your destination. That was your destiny because that was the one you followed. You followed the evil one. You are under his power. So remember your chains. Because if you don't wear them now, and if you experience the freedom when Jesus said, those who are in the Son are free indeed... If you've experienced that, it is because Jesus Christ broke your chains. If you're sitting here right now, figuratively, and you are sitting looking with love at the feet of Jesus in your right mind and full of freedom then, and I hope and pray that you are, it's not because you broke your chains. It's not because you used your mind to come up with and and discover Jesus for yourself. If your chains are broken, it is because you have encountered Jesus Christ and he broke them for you. It's a wonderful truth. I think that's one of the, the first reason why this is here in the Bible. 
And secondly, I think the Holy Spirit prompted this to be recorded for us because it shows us without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus not only has the power to resist the devil as he did in the wilderness, we saw a few weeks ago in his period of temptation, but Jesus has the power to smash the devil. He has the power to destroy the devil. Now, think about it. A, a demonic encounter like this would be a big deal for us. Look, it would be a big deal for me. If this happened in our church and this guy showed up and he walked through the doors into our gathered church community, this would not be a regular Sunday, would it? This guy is, is clearly demonically empowered and possessed. Um, he, is, he is not wearing any clothes for a start. That would be kind of weird. But we would be tempted to, to be going, ah, what are we going to do? We'd be sweating, thinking, I hope we got the right prayers. I hope we've got the right, you know, what, what are we going to do? Because the, the demon is, is encountered, he's, he's on our space. But have you ever seen a really good thriller that just didn't land? A movie that just... Just the ending just didn't quite go the way that you expected. Um, as a kid, uh, I loved Doctor Who, right? Um, not the Doctor Who that many of you who are in the younger generation might know now, but the 1970s version of Doctor Who. And uh, I remember as a little kid, sometimes I, I would see it on the TV and I'd look into the lounge room and had that tunnel thing, dun -dun 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 -dun, and that was enough to freak me out and, and before mum would snatch me to safety um, from, from Doctor Who. And Doctor Who in the 1970s was, was very good at building up tension and, and, and of creating the suspense. And, and, and um, the funny thing though, though uh, finally this terrible thing would be revealed that it had been building towards. It had been revealed in all its 1970s low-budget BBC glory. And it just looked so ridiculous that instead of being afraid and screaming, it was hard not to laugh. And something a little bit like that happens here. These powerful supernatural beings of evil and darkness, fearful though they are to us, in the presence of Jesus Christ, they're just second-grade special effects. And they cower before him. They know the commander of the princely commander of the armies of heaven when they see him, clothed though he is in human flesh. They know who they're dealing with. And they know that their vicious little game with this poor man and his life is done now for good. And in that moment, they're shown when they encounter Jesus to, for what they really are. Not the terrible, suspenseful uh, monster of great power but second-grade special effects. They cower in fear. And, and notice that, that Jesus doesn't go through some sort of magical formulas or incantations. He, he doesn't yell. He just tells them to get out. And they do. But maybe it's a little bit like seeing the schoolyard bully, the big, bad bully, peeing his pants in terror and crying for his mummy when the police arrive and put him in the back of the divvy van. You just don't ever see the bully in the same way again. So too with the devil and his demons. This encounter with Jesus is in the Scriptures, I believe, because we're not denying that the devil and his demons are real, but we see them for what they are. And when they encounter Jesus Christ in the flesh, the result for them is really just embarrassing. So I think that's why it's there. 
to remind us of our chains and to show us that Jesus has complete and total power over Satan and demons. But what does it mean for us and and what would it mean for us in this week ahead? Well, firstly, the, the obvious one, as I said in the beginning, is that demons are real. They continue to be real, but we shouldn't fear them. But we perhaps should expect to encounter them from time to time. When I was at uh, Kapuka, as I mentioned, as a, um, a chaplain there, uh, one young soldier came and spoke to me and he said, um, Padre, whenever I go into the chapel on Sunday for the, for the worship service, I feel this overwhelming sense to scream out blasphemies against the name of Jesus. He said, I just don't know what to do. Now, now you've got to understand this guy had been psychologically text, te- tested extensively and screened. He was, he was a normal young guy, friendly young guy. Um, I, you know, I, I got to have a bit with him during his time, a bit to do with him at Kapuki. He, he, he was not weird or unstable in any way, but he just said, I just don't know what to do. Every time I come into the church, I just have, feel this overwhelming desire to blaspheme Jesus. And I don't want to do that. I, I don't know what's going on. And he said, could you pray for me? And uh, one, one morning before the, before the service started, just in the foyer of the chapel, he asked, and, and I went, okay, I don't know what to do, but I'll, I'll do what you ask me. So I laid my hand on him, and just very simply, I prayed in the name of Jesus that whatever was causing him to have that, that overwhelming desire would leave in Jesus' name. Amen. And immediately he said, it's gone, Padre. Thank you. For the rest of that time, he, he, uh, the rest of his weeks at Kapuka, as far as I know, it never manifested again. It left. One man uh, in our church, a uh, wonderful man in our church, who was a missionary in Papua New Guinea for many years, uh, he told me just a few weeks ago when we were catching up, he told me that uh, very often um, encounters like this would happen to him. Uh, He was in the first years of of the gospel coming into the highlands of Papua New Guinea and he would be in a place and he would be gathered and they would be preaching the word of Jesus and a person very like this demoniac would often appear, usually taking off their clothes or naked, um, filthy uh, and they would scream out all sorts of blasphemies and and he said that at the beginning of his ministry he didn't know what to do and then, then he realized that he should just do what the scriptures told him to do and he would pray for these people in the name of Jesus and command that they be set free. And he said, very often, that happened. They'd be delivered and set free. Demons are real. But secondly, as we think about how we might encounter them, or what we do if we would encounter them, we have to remember that every Christian is to the devil what kryptonite is to Superman. Each of us who are in Christ are in Christ. If you are saved by the presence and the power of Jesus Christ and you are washed by his blood, then your sins are forgiven and you yourself in in a wonderful way are inhabited by God himself in the presence, in the form of the Holy Spirit. So when you encounter the devil or the demons that serve him, it's not as if you are encountering them in your own strength. When they encounter you, they don't just see you, they see the one who lives in you. We are what kryptonite is to Superman, to them. We need not fear them, we've been given the power over them. So 
practically, if there is someone in your life who you suspect may be being demonized, if you encounter that, um, you have yourself the authority to pray for that person in the name of Jesus with that full authority that Jesus gives. Um, a couple of recommendations, I would always recommend that you grab someone else. Don't do it yourself, you want, you want to witness. Um, you should be gentle. You don't need to shout. You don't need to go through magic incantations or formulas or anything like that. Um, very often when I've seen that take place, it suspects it brings to me the idea that the person who is doing that, it's really not so much about Jesus as it is about them. It's got a kind of, oh, look at me idea to it. And it's not so much about the Bible as it is the movie like The Exorcist. But you have the authority to pray for someone quietly, gently. Pray for that person in the name of Jesus. And if it becomes difficult or, or you feel you need more, well, then come to the leaders of the church. I wouldn't say we are experts in these kind of things at City on a Hill, but we believe in the power of the devil and we believe in the victory of Jesus and we believe in the commission given to us to confront evil wherever it is. So we will pray for those person as well, if you would like us to. But the reality is that it may well be that there are many more people in our world's today that who are being demonized in some way remember the devil is subtle and he doesn't always present in the form of the demoniac we see here but there may be many more people in our world who are bound and chained by this than we realize and friends this this is a wonderful reality that you and I as ambassadors of Jesus Christ the king we've been delegated authority by him and that as he breaks every chain so we, in His name and through His power, have the authority to confront what is evil. We shouldn't be afraid of it. There are people who are chained, but we've been given the key to unlock those chains. Now, thirdly, and I know that whenever um, I encounter or whenever I preach on a passage like this, there is nearly always someone who is listening, someone who is in the church community, someone who is a Christian that then thinks, Oh, yeah, I'm like Major Weir. I'm really, I know I'm, I'm part of the church community, but really I am possessed by the devil. Really I'm, I'm demonized. Even though I, I know that I've, I've come to Jesus, I, I'm sure that that's me. And that in the end, I'll be, I'll be set aside from him for all eternity because I'm not really saved. I'm possessed or I'm influenced by demons. No, a spy in the enemy camp knows they're a spy. And if you are a wolf in the midst of the sheep, you know you're a wolf. But this is, this is a tactic, I think, of the evil one to, to unsettle our faith. And anyway, let's be clear about something. If you are a Christian, you cannot be demon-possessed. You cannot be. It's totally impossible. The term possessed comes from possession, and which we well know only one person can possess one thing at one time. If you are possessed by Christ and if he lives in you, if Jesus is your king and your savior, you're possessed by him, right? You're Jesus possessed. You cannot be demon possessed at the same time. It's impossible. Yes, you could be demonized. And what that means is just that 
the devil and his demons are seeking to influence you, and that shouldn't be really that surprising. Of course they seek to influence. We, we know they seek to, they prowl, like the devil prowls like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. We know that they seek to, to bring before us the temptations and to turn us away from Jesus. Of course people can be demonized, and we're told that if that's the case, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But if you do feel yourself that as a Christian that you are laboring in this area, that you are really struggling, well then ask for help. That, that could be a request you put through the portal, not one we often get, but it's one, it's why the portal's there. You could ask for prayer, you could ask for the, the leaders of the church to gather around and pray for you and we'd love to do that about anything but especially something as serious as this. Fourthly, And finally, if you are not yet a Christian, this passage should should concern you. The chains that this man had, the chains that Jesus shattered are the same chains that you have if you have not yet come to Christ. You, no matter how nice you seem, you, no matter how much of Christianese you have around you, you, no matter how many times you've been to church, how many Bible stories your parents have read to you, you, unless you have encountered Jesus, you are chained. You are chained and these are not chains that are automatically broken because you grew up in a Christian family. These are not chains that are broken simply by being around the edge of the community. Major Weir's example shows us for that, doesn't it? And so if you are not in Christ, then you are ultimately in the devil. If you are not in life, you are in death. If you are not in freedom, sitting at the feet of Jesus and looking at him with love, then you are with the evil one. You are under his power and he comes to steal and kill and lie and destroy. And for as long as you are in his power, for as long as you are under his influence, you are joining him in his destination. See, there's a reality here that goes way beyond something as eternally insignificant as coronavirus. Did I sound angry? I'm angry. There's a reality that we see in this passage which points us to something that is far more significant, that is far more eternally significant. There's the reality that there are those in our community, and maybe you are one of them, you don't yet know Jesus. And you look inside deep in your heart and you know that's the truth. You know that you could articulate a lot of Bible stories. You know you could articulate a lot of things about God, but you've never encountered God in the person of Jesus. So you are not in Christ. You are in the devil. And you may not look like that demoniac, but the reality spiritually is the same. You're enslaved and trapped. And... I know when I say this, the danger is that that you might come to Jesus because you're afraid of sharing the devil's ultimate destiny in the lake of fire. And then you come to Jesus as just a, a doorway out of that destiny. And friends, that's not why we should come to Jesus. This is the one who is so lovable, who is gentle and humble of heart, 
whose compassion pours out on all who would come to him. This is why we come to Jesus, because of his love for us. And we look to him and we see in Christ the glory of God. And we, are, we dwell in, in joy as we see who he is and what he's done. But maybe you might come in fear. In fear of your destination, and maybe that might draw you to sit at his feet. And then, maybe, you would experience who it is that has saved you, who it is that's broken your chains. But if you are not in Christ, and right now you know it, and right now it's coming digitally, it makes no difference. If you are not in Christ, now is the time. You have now the opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ who breaks chains, who would love to break your chains, who is maybe using this moment to break those chains. But you will not have that opportunity forever. The time will run out. So would you come? It's time to change sides, for the time is running out. Well, let me conclude. The story of Major Thomas Weir is a tragedy. As he and his sister were at the stake, as the fire was lit and about to be placed before them, a minister, Christian minister, was sent to Major Weir. And the minister pleaded with him, saying that it was not too late to repent that Jesus had arms that were wide open, that he longed to give forgiveness. These are the last words of Major Weir. Let me alone. I will not. I've lived as a beast. I must die as a beast. Major Weir knew an awful lot about Jesus. Major Weir could pray amazing prayers and even preach amazing sermons. Major Weir never encountered Jesus Christ. Because if he had had, he would know as the demoniac did long ago, he would have known that living like a beast, being possessed even by evil spirits, was no blockage to the power and the grace and the love that is in Jesus Christ. You may have lived as a beast. You may have lived as a beast now. If you've been set free by Jesus, you remember what he did for you. And you look at him with love and grace. And if you have not yet encountered him. And you live like a beast now, well come to him. There is no one and no sin that is too great for you to block his love and his grace because this is the Jesus that breaks chains. This is the Jesus who breaks your chains. All glory be to him. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you, we thank you that you sent Jesus. And we thank you that, that in comparison to him, the, the devil and his demons are impotent. 
are defeated, are disarmed. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the strong man, that you are the one who encounters the devil and defeats him. And we thank you that this truth is revealed in Scripture. And Lord, may the implications of it flow into our hearts and lives as we who are in Christ bear the same authority as men and women whose chains are broken and whose destiny is secured, whose salvation has been won by this Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.